Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello, and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute in Ireland. I'm Cathy Jacobs, former president of the Compliance Institute and a compliance professional for 20 years, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. On the 9th of December 2021, Mary Elizabeth McMunn, Director of Credit Institutions Supervision at the Central Bank of Ireland, and a previous guest on the Compliance Files podcast, issued a letter to the CEOs of payments and e-money firms setting out the central bank's regulatory expectations and requiring a comprehensive assessment of a firm's compliance with a number of regulatory requirements. This letter is significant for a number of reasons, not least the request for an attestation to be provided to the central bank before 31st of March, which itself must be approved by the firm's board. So in order to explore what this means for firms, I'm delighted to welcome today as my guests, Alison Donnelly and Russell Burke. Alison is a director in FSCOM and is a payments policy expert with in-depth knowledge and understanding of the payments regulatory landscape. She is a former FSA, FCA e-money policy specialist and shares this insight from the regulator to clients and contacts alike in her role as director in FSCOM, providing compliance advice to leading fintech companies and startups. Russell Burke is an independent payments consultant with a combination of extensive regulatory and strategic experience and is one of Ireland's leading payments specialists with over 40 years experience with the Central Bank of Ireland and the Irish Payment Services Organisation and Bank of Ireland. Alison and Russell are here with me today to explore the themes in the Dear CEO letter. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Alison and Russell, and thanks for talking to us today. I'll start with you, Russell. The letter mentions the regulation of payment and e-money firms has moved to the Credit Institution Supervision Directorate. Was that a strategic decision by the central bank, do you know? And what, if anything, does this mean for licensed firms? Uh, hi, uh, Cathy, and thanks very much. Thanks for having us on this podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. To get to your question specifically, yeah, I was I was there in the central bank when it happened. And uh, no, it wasn't anything huge, any, any huge strategic uh, direction behind it. Uh, simply a couple of years ago, a director, Michael Hodson, announced he was leaving the central bank and it was decided a strategic decision that did take place was it was decided not to replace him and to put, put the parts of that directorate into other directors within the central bank. And they were mainly in um, the credit institution supervision division that you've or director that you've referenced there and consumer protection, which is where payments formerly was. So when the shuffle happened, the numbers were too big on the consumer protection directorate side and probably a little lighter on the banking side. So it was a decision was taken simply to move uh, from across from consumer protection to the credit institutions supervision directorate. And, you know, with, with the view that there would be some synergies, particularly on the supervision side, with exist, existing supervision teams in in, 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 in in the banking director, if you want to call it that. Uh, however, obviously, as, as we, we all know, um, payments institutions and e-money institutions have their own specific legislation. So actually the regulatory regime is, is quite different uh, in some areas uh, than, than, than it would be for credit institutions. Thanks, Russell. And turning now to the letter, in your opinion, why has this letter been issued and why now? 
Well, I wasn't. I wasn't there. I, was, I, I left before the letter was issued. So um, to 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 a point, I suppose I, I'm, I'm speculating. However, been uh, well known and went flagged by the central bank that uh, safeguarding, which is a, a, a key aspect of um, payments institutions and, and e-money institutions, is a key area for the central bank in its supervisory role. And it has flagged to the industry that it's going to be targeting targeting that. And we've had COVID for the last couple of years, so its plans to um, do whatever it intended to do, whether it be a themed inspection or whatever, would have been thwarted, shall we say, by working from home and other restrictions. And then, as, as we've mentioned, it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the payments supervision team is in a, a new directorate. So I think the Dear CEO letter um, is a result of all of those things kind of coming together. And it's a chance for the um, the, the payments supervision team, in with, it, with its new management, to take a good hard look at the payments and the money regulated entities in Ireland and make sure they're doing what they're doing or they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which I'm sure they are un under safeguarding. And I suppose it's also uh, an opportunity for the, the the new management, I suppose, to send a clear signal to the industry about safeguarding, particularly uh, as is um, requested in the letter. But it also sets out um, the standards it expects across a number of key areas, which I'm sure we'll be talking about during the course of this podcast. It's also worth pointing out that it was uh, this was a letter, the one we're talking about is a letter to the existing payment and e-money institution population, but there was also a letter published, like an open letter just published on the website to prospective applicants, covering much of the same material in terms of flagging areas of uh, particular interest to um, to the central bank and the supervision team and, and really emphasising that applicants must be ready to address each of these points as well. Yeah, absolutely. That Alice is quite right. There was what was entitled um, a communication to firms seeking seeking authorization as a payment institution or electronic money institution. Uh, it was dated the tenth of December, which was a, dated a day later than the letter, but came out around the same time. And it's, uh, it, 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 as Alison um, suggests, sets out the expectations in relation to firms seeking authorization. Great, and Alison, it's a it's a six or seven page letter with a rather ominous exam question at the end and under the heading action required. Um, could you um, explore what the, the scope of this letter is? So the letter begins with the explanation of the change in directorate, just as Russell mentioned that, and you mentioned that it's now within the Credit Institution Supervision Directorate. Uh, it then goes on, on to outline what it calls supervisory expectations. In broad terms, the central bank expects regulated firms to be well-governed with appropriate cultures, effective risk management and control arrangements in place. Um, it says that firms should have sustainable business models with sufficient financial resources, including under a plausible but severe stress. And it goes on to reference operational resilience, which of course means that firms should be able to, as it says, respond to, recover and learn from operational disruptions. And it then mentions protecting the financial system from use for money laundering or, or terrorist financing related activities. So those themes are then extrapolated further in the letter with sections on governance and risk management, conduct and culture, safeguarding, business mode and financial, sorry, business model and financial resilience, operational resilience, financial crime, and resolution and wind up. I think of these pieces, the probably it's the resolution and wind up piece that will be least familiar to existing payment and e-money institutions and indeed even applicants, because as I, as I mentioned, it's a relatively similar 
letter that prospective applicants also received. Thanks, Alison. And yes, there are a number of broad themes and, and quite a shopping list, actually, in the letter. And then this, this action to complete a comprehensive assessment of compliance with safeguarding regulations specifically and the conditions of authorization and then provide this attestation is that consistent to, to explore those broad themes and then and then narrow it down how should um, our listeners from e-money and payments firms interpret that and tackle it it's an interesting one because it does cover broad supervisory expectations and then narrows down on safeguarding and conditions of your authorization that phrase the conditions of author of your authorization could be interpreted in a number of ways and, and perhaps that's a good thing because perhaps payment and e-money institutions would like the freedom to be able to interpret it in the most sitting way but let me explain what, what I think that it could mean so first of all it, it could be um, a very broad phrase it could the conditions of getting authorized could be being able to have robust governance arrangements and um, having a, a, a suitable business model could be holding sufficient capital uh, and meeting your safeguarding obligations and all the AML obligations, having a risk management framework. So it could cover all of that. So basically, this would be a review and attestation of the whole piece. Or it could be narrowed down to the way that um, Central Bank often uses the term and, and is sort of consistent with the legislation, which is any particular conditions that have been applied to your authorization. I, I'm pretty sure Russell might be able to, will be able to explain more what might those be. But as I say, each firm will have to make a decision as to how they choose to interpret it, whether they want to review the whole piece or stick to um, safeguarding and something particular, anything that's particular if, if relevant to their authorization. I would say with the 31st of March deadline, since this, I mean, it was issued at the beginning of December, but, but nonetheless, we had Christmas and New Year and, and the, like to be able to do a broad sweep of um, confirmation would be very ambitious for firms because not only do they have to do that complete review they would have to also make sure that their board has got the opportunity to consider and where there's remediation there would have to be a, a proper roadmap so that I think lends itself to a narrower interpretation perhaps fingers crossed. Just on, on that point about the conditions of authorization I'm inclined to agree with Alison that it probably refers to specific conditions imposed uh, at the time of authorization rather than the general conditions of authorization although like what a lot of uh, this whole thing, I suppose, because the first time in many ways, it would it would be helpful, I think, if the central bank were to give some further guidance on uh, what they're actually looking for here. But it does say in the early part of the letter that the central bank expects it, the board and the senior management and so on to ensure the firm is in compliance on an ongoing basis with its regulatory requirements and any conditions imposed on your firm's authorization. So I think it's reasonable to accept that it's only the the, the 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 homework bit at the end is only related to those specific conditions because otherwise it'd be a hell of a piece of work work to do but yeah it, there, there is no guidance as to whether this has to be a massively comprehensive you know project to sort of uh, look at every 
aspect of safeguarding and report on it and, and all the rest. That said, as I mentioned earlier, safeguarding has been well flagged as, a, as, as an area that the central bank is very concerned, rightly concerned about, because it's the, the cornerstone of um, protecting consumers um, or protecting users of uh, payments and e-money e e accounts, um, because unlike uh, with banks, there's a, the deposit guarantee scheme doesn't apply. So safeguarding is the mechanism to protect uh, the account holders. So in, in, in that sense, firms should have nothing to fear because they've, they've regulatory obligation to be safeguarding those funds anyway and presumably all these businesses will be doing that to the best of their ability uh, the issue as Alison was alluding to there is to get a board attestation to that fact because board members will quite rightly want something to support that attestation before they give it so there need to be um, some substance behind the review and report that, that that comes from it and there is no guidance as to how comprehensive that should be. So what is the next step or next piece of the task? How, how should it be broken down for listeners? The most immediate priority is, of course, the attestation for safeguarding. So what firms will be needing to understand and, and to work out, and bearing in mind this has to be in for the 31st of March, I expect that all of them will have already got firm plans in place by now. But first of all, there needs to be some kind of review of the various obligations and, you know, as we've already mentioned, safeguarding has been well flagged. So I, I don't expect that there's any firm that hasn't actually already reviewed their safeguarding arrangements anyway in preparation for this, whether that's through a sort of an, a normal internal audit programme or the like. What I know from speaking to the sector is that there are many who are now taking the opportunity to get an external assessment to, to be able to put a specific report from an external provider to the board. But there's certainly a, a wariness in the sector as to where the central bank's going to go with this next because with the safeguarding provisions, because as a client said the other day, you know, what are we to make an assessment against where there's no substantive guidance from the CBI? I, I believe firms have had individual guidance, perhaps when they've raised issues or at the application stage, but there's um, there has been nothing published since PSD2 that's for the for the whole piece and when you look at the safeguarding obligations in the legislation there's not much to it you know it's relatively simple and straightforward so you know I think being able to look at that um, and, and for, confirm that you're in compliance that should be relatively straightforward but will there be further reviews will there be further additional expectations added by the central bank once they start looking into the attestations and the reports that are being presented and that's another stage and uh, you know as uh, Russell said the guidance would be helpful sometimes guidance isn't always helpful <laughs> when regulators get involved it can end up making things a lot more complicated so of the particular areas to look at it's making sure that the right funds have been identified as being the ones that need to be covered by the safeguarding, that the provisions in place are adequate, you know, is the, is the segregation immediate, is the policy, if there's a policy involved, is it appropriate, has it got good enough cover, where would it pay out to the bank accounts that are being used, if, they're, if you're using the segregation method, are they sufficiently, um, is the firm, is the the bank is sufficiently robust you know is it named correctly and who has access to the to the bank account to make sure that the the power of moving the funds in and out of the, that account rests 
with the right people in the entity in Ireland. There's also questions around then reconciliation. Is that done sufficiently often to be confident, given the value and volume of payments in and out of that account? That's robust, are there records kept? And would these arrangements stack up and be clear if in the worst case scenario and the firm did go bust, if somebody had to come in and take over, would they be able to repatriate the funds in their fullest to the, to the right people? That's the kind of items that should be checked and, and confirmed. A report should be brought before the board showing findings uh, and assessment of the state of play as it is uh, and identify any action that should be taken. If there is remediation action to be taken, that should be set out in a roadmap, which again, the board should, um, should approve. So the report, that the attestation that goes to the central bank will need to explain the methodology of, of what they did to, to come to their conclusions, the summary of the conclusions, the analysis, the, the sort of lessons learned, if there are, has to be any, you know, the sort of holding hands up, whatever needs to be done, and then a, a plan for the future. If, if I could ask you, who do you think should conduct this? Should it be internal audit? Should it be the second line, you know, function, risk function? Or- I think it's, 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 it's it really, it is down to each firm. They're all different sizes. They've got different businesses. Um, it really is down to each firm to decide what the best path is for, for that particular business. Um, I, I don't have a straight answer to that, to be honest. Uh, I mean, in, in, in a firm that's big enough, it may have a specialist team that can do something like that if it sets its mind to it. Uh, other firms would have an outsourced head of internal audits that wouldn't be part of the normal scope. They'd have to uh, engage them further to do something like that, which would be a cost. Um, well, it's going to be a cost for all firms, but a, a, a greater cost if it's outsourced. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, based on my experience in, in um, assessing uh, firms for authorization or seeking authorization, um, quite often, that sort of area uh, falls, uh, the responsibility for it falls to the um, head of operations if they have one or the CEO, depending on the size of the firm. And then the uh, second line of defense typically will be the uh, uh, head of compliance uh, or head of risk and compliance in some cases, it's one role. Um, imagine a combination of those, but it, it really will vary from firm to firm, I, I guess. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's, as we've said, it's the first time uh, with the new directorate, uh, there isn't particular guidance with it. So um, each firm will just have to make up its, its mind as to uh, what the best the best approach for that firm is. But as I as I mentioned, um, I don't think there's something for the firm should be afraid of. Yes, they'll be concerned that they're dealing with the regulator and yes, they want to get it right, but it's something that they should be getting right anyway and hopefully are. So, um, so long as there's nothing to hide and there shouldn't be, um, I think this, while there is some work to be done, it should be pretty straightforward. Uh, it should be easy enough to convince the board that everything is uh, what it should be. And then the board can sign off and let the central bank know. So, yeah, sorry, can't give you a straight answer, but that's a, that's that's the way it is with these things, unfortunately. Thanks, Alison. I was actually going to ask, what if, what if a firm identifies deficiencies while performing the work to put together the attestation and, and how should these be dealt with by the firm if for example there was quite serious discrepancies or uh, if, if if they weren't doing perhaps what um they had agreed in their application to the central bank how how would they go about where there are significant deficiencies um unearthed in this process 
Well, I, uh, the first thing they should do is tell the central bank anyway, even before the 31st of March, if they discover that. Um, but I think Alison made the point earlier, and I, I completely agree with her. There's very unlikely to be any firms that haven't reviewed uh, their, their, you know, the, the the workings of their safeguarding processes. Uh, it's 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 a fundamental aspect of it. It's a legal obligation. Um, so I'd be I'd, I'd be very surprised if this uh, the review for the attestation uh, threw up any problems. The, the firm should be well aware of those problems already. But the short answer to your question, Cathy, is if something major is unearthed, they should be um, reported immediately to the central bank. Absolutely, I, I would I would encourage all firms. Um, to be as open and transparent and honest with the regulator at all times as they can, even 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 if it doesn't, even if it, even if it's going to cause pain, it'll cause more pain if, if anything is held back. The, the the central bank, I mean, if a situation is there, it has to be dealt with, uh, and the, and the, the sooner and the more the central bank knows about it, the better. And the, the the firm and the central bank can work together to sort it out and do whatever needs to be done. But you know the the the, the attestation. Sorry, the collection of attestations, I suppose, they're going to get from 40 odd firms. There's, there's, I think there's probably a fear amongst the, um, the firms that they're going to get a whole wide range of various, wide range of various sports done to various different degrees of um, work, I suppose, or, or depth. Um, and that the central bank may use the uh, most significant one of those uh, as a standard then going forward that's expected of everybody. That said, I don't really think that's going to happen. I, um, it may, it may be opportunities to to, to identify some some potentially maybe weaker firms. Hopefully, there won't be any. But I, I you know, I, no, I don't think so. I think um, the central bank will get a picture of uh, hopefully a very good picture that um, all these firms are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but but you know, it is that key area. We'll talk a little bit more that about that later. How it differs from banking and so on that there is safeguarding of funds. But um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, the, the firms should have nothing to fear, 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 and be honest with the central bank report. Whatever is there, as say it's any major report immediately. But um, yeah, the central bank is there to, to to make sure the firms are doing the right thing. Not, not there's no there's no other agenda. On that point, I think there's a very good culture in firms in in Ireland to report often and early. So you know, I think that's been well drilled in. But human nature is what it is, and there's always the temptation of, of um, you know, let's hold fire and we'll figure out what's gone wrong, and, and then and we'll get our ducks in a row, and then we'll do the reporting. And I often think and advise that whilst well intentioned, uh, and I can understand the rationale, and and nobody wants to put a case forward where they're not clear on all the facts. The difficulty with that approach is that quite often what ends up happening is you get looked further and further into it and then you get further and further away from the from the moment when it would have been possible to quickly and easily at least report and say something's gone wrong we're not entirely sure of the depth and extent of it and then it begins looking like you've held back uh, and you, you get further and further into it so um the sort of the mantra of report as soon as you find something that's maybe a little bit of miss caveat it you know we're letting you know this right at the beginning because this is what we've found out we haven't established the completeness of the facts yet we haven't done our full lessons learned we're going to do that but let's but we're, we're flagging this now so that um we're all we're all on the same page um, and and it does you know it keeps everybody honest yeah that's really good advice Alison and I always 
think as a rule of thumb, if you're debating with yourself whether you should report, then you probably should be reporting. Um, and yeah, and if it's of any size, it'll be, you know, there'll be different stages. There'll be a triage and then there'll be a deeper investigation. And it, it is making that call and, you know, experienced and sensible compliance officers will understand where, you know, when the right when the time is right to approach the central bank hopefully and it's heartening to hear that there is a culture of reporting and candor to the central bank it's something we at compliance institute do try and promote russell turning to to the board and the role of the board the, the letter states early on that the central bank asks the recipient which is the ceo to bring the letter to the attention of the of the board Assuming the central bank expect the board to do more than just read the letter, uh, what is the responsibility, um, in your view, of the board arising from the letter? And then what does the board need to see to be able to discharge its oversight role in relation to this dear CEO letter? Yeah, that's that's um, we're sort of alluding, alluding to that a little earlier. I think. Of course, the board will have to more, do more than read the letter, but ultimately att- attesting to the um, substance of the review that's been requested. And indeed, as Alison mentioned earlier, um, any mitigation measures are being put in place should, should, should deficiencies be, be found. So there's, there's no straight answer as to what the board has to do to be satisfied that the review has been done uh, to the level that they're happy with. It'll be different for each firm, but there will need to be some, they need, every board member will need to be satisfied that whatever piece of work is done um, can, can be can be stood over, I suppose, by the firm. They have to be convinced by the report and whoever did it in each individual firm that they can sign off on behalf of the company, that they're happy as a board and um, that this exercise has been done to, to a standard that they would expect. And obviously that the conclusions found in that review uh, are, are, are valid and correct, that, that the board are happy. But I mean, as we've mentioned a couple of times now, I'd be flabbergasted if the board only as a result of this review were hearing about a problem with their safeguarding arrangements for the first time. So I'd, I'd imagine, I, I would hope that all board members of uh, regulated payments and e-money firms will be well aware of what their safeguarding arrangements are and should be and whatever. And so when they see a report or review of whatever they do to, 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 to get this exercise done, that it will mean something to them and they'll understand it and be able to rely on it and presumably interrogate it to a certain amount, uh, to a certain degree, I should say, um, before they actually confirm that at- attestation. And, and so, sorry, similar would apply to any conditions of authorization. But a condition of authorization could simply be something like, for instance, the central bank itself has uh, discretion to add um, 20% onto the um, minimum own funds requirement of a firm, for instance. It doesn't happen very often. But if that was one of the conditions of authorization, it would be a very simple exercise for the firm to confirm that it has that extra 20% over the minimum um, required by, by uh, the regulations. So that would, that would be something like that could be almost just a tick box exercise. They wouldn't even have to check it. They, they would know. So um, again, as, as, as I said earlier on, I, I don't think firms have anything to fear here as such. It's more, it's, it's the, 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 the getting it done and the responsibility of signing it off. But firms should be safeguarding and firms obviously should be um, adhering to any conditions of authorization that were imposed at the time of their authorization. And of course, it's important... We're focusing on the attestation because that's got a nice hard deadline and we know we'll know when that's been done or not been done. Uh, but the broader pace is still there and uh, a board must make sure that the, the wider aspects referenced in there are, are very definitely embedded within the business. And um, what, we, what would be remiss to overlook is that whilst like, everything on there is something that 
has already been mentioned before. The one thing that's probably relatively new is um, what the Central Bank are calling the wind-up strategy or the exit plan. So, and um, Russell and I have been discussing and debating this over the last while. It's there, there's in the application pack for a, a new applicant, they have to provide information on the measures they would take in a in a wind down situation if they had to close down the business. And generally, that's really about and has always been understood to be about making sure that the funds get back to the customers and that um, customers are not disadvantaged. What, what we're saying is that the central bank is looking for something a little bit more detailed than that, including, uh, and this goes to the point about the financial resilience, including stress testing and scenarios, understanding so that a business knows how long, how much money it would take to be able to go out of business in an orderly fashion, and then what point that would be at in their in their financial forecast so that they can identify here's when we'd go into an alert phase and here's when we'd have to start winding up and that is the is a, a new level of detail that applicants and indeed existing firms haven't been asked to put before uh, pull together previously but that's that's what is being looked for in this new um expectation that's been identified in the letter yeah, and if, if I could add to that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat confused by this, really, um, and maybe it's to do with the fact that it's now part of the, the banking regime, because a very specific, um, what, what we were talking about, we're talking about safeguarding, one of the very specific aspects um, of uh, payments institutions and e-money institutions is they have to safeguard the funds, um, which makes them very different from banks, and also they have to meet minimum own funds requirements. There are specific numbers set out in, in, in each of the sets of regulations. So the, the prudential supervision is very different to that of banks uh, who have to, you know, uh, if they were winding down, have to uh, discharge or sell loan books and whatever, and there's this whole resolution plan. Um, if the money is being properly safeguarded, which as we're saying, we expect, we expect it is, um, a wind down, whether um, planned or unplanned should be orderly because it's simply a case of getting the money out of the safeguarding account and back to the 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 the, the, the um the owners the legal owners of, of those funds um and the, the 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 what's being asked for now is sort of trigger points and capitalization and, and things like that that might um sort of uh, cause a wind down to 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 be to be to be commenced uh, whereas the, these firms, regardless of whether they're profitable or not profitable, have to maintain these minimum loan funds requirements, uh, which is the protection that was built into the legislation. That and the fact that the funds have to be safeguarded um, mean the the, the 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 user funds are protected, and the business has to maintain those levels of own funds requirements, regardless of how profitable they are. So more capital have to be injected or whatever. So they're the safeguarding mechanisms mechanisms that are in there. So to be going to this great length to be seeking information on uh, trigger points and, and, and wind down plans, to me seems quite excessive actually. And, and back to what we were saying earlier, um, if it, it'd, be, it'd be very useful for the central bank to issue some guidance to the industry on this as to why it's suddenly important uh, and even how it's relevant. Because um, to me, to be honest, um, a wind down plan for a, a payment institution or the money institution um, simply is either, if it's a planned wind down, 
the regular staff in the firm arrange for the money to go back from the accounts to from where from where it came, whether it's the person's bank account or debit card or whatever. Um, and a disorderly wind down means a liquidator, receiver, or you know whoever's appointed to to sort out the firm will just do exactly the same. Um, the, the big fear should be, I would think, a lot more around whether the money is safeguarded or not in the first place. And I think the Central Bank are quite rightly targeting safeguarding in this year's CEO letter. But it's those two areas that Alison's been hinting at that are different now for payments firms, which is the um, the capital sort of trigger points, profitability and all that. And then even more so, the, the this, this, this uh, wind, resolution wind down plan concentration. It strikes at the heart of the whole regime because the point of this regime was to create competition in the market and it's an alternative to banks. It's not an alternative at the same level as the bank. You know, this is about, and particularly with payments and, and even really to e-money, they're not comparable to banks. It's clear that. Um, and and money is... the the business models are not as complex. The money is flowing in and flowing out, uh, you know, in terms of customer detriment, clearly nobody wants to lose money, but in terms of proportionality, is there something about how you, I mean, you'd be exceptionally unlucky if you were using a payment institution on the day it goes bust and you were not able to get your funds back because it's assuming that they're properly safeguarded and, and the same with the e-money. So, so what is the proportional approach here for payment and e-money institutions? Yeah, and just to add another little bit to that is, and I think it's hinted to in one of the communications, most payments institutions, e-money institutions are not systemically critical. They're niche providers of services in certain, you know, different, different ways. They're not, uh, you know, any of them closing down in either orderly or not so orderly fashion wouldn't result in payments grinding to a halt in Ireland or across Europe. Um, it wouldn't be like the Ulster Bank situation in 2012 where people couldn't access their salaries or the mortgages paid. Most of them are money remitters or niche acquirers or that, that kind of thing uh, in Ireland. Um, and even the acquiring market, there's an awful lot more acquirers now than there was 10 years ago. Most businesses have at least two acquirers and their business to business relationships anyway, no consumer detriment. Other than perhaps they couldn't use a card in a store for a while, have to pay cash. So um, they're not systemically critical. Um, we saw what happened, as, as I mentioned, Ulster Bank in 2012, and then there was a failure at Visa a few years ago, and cards stopped. If any of these firms stopped working, even one of the big ones, most people wouldn't notice. I'm sorry, most people on a day-to-day basis would notice. Obviously, hopefully the regulator would notice and, 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 their, and their business customers. But, um, I mean, even a firm, say, like Revolut, that now it seems is not availing of its e-money authorization in, in Ireland, um, because as banking license... Um, even a firm the size of that, which they claim to have one and a half million customers in Ireland, there, there would be more consumers affected by that. But most, for most people, they all they also have a bank account as well, so it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be the end of them being able to do uh, standing orders and mortgages and stuff like that. So, uh, to Alison's point, I think proportionality is very important here. It's, it's mentioned actually in the regulations that this should be appropriate for the nature, scale, and complexity of the business involved. And to Alison's point about competition, these guys are very different from the banks. They're typically way, way smaller. For slicker, actually, in a lot of cases as well. Uh, there's more likely to be a systemic failure in a bank than there is in one of these firms. But um, yeah, I think um, a, a clearer picture on why, why the emphasis on these areas there will be very useful. Thanks, Russell and Alison. And now we've come to the end of, of our chat today. And I'd just like to ask each of you if you have any 
final thoughts? What are any big messages for firms as they, they face into this important task? Uh, yeah, as, as, as I was alluding to earlier, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. There's a bit of work to be done, but I think just be honest, be open and you know, provide the attestation that's required. Perhaps not a bad exercise for a firm to undertake anyway. And I suppose I'd also say maybe to firms, uh, watch out. Uh, <laughs> there's quite likely to be more of these, I, I'd imagine, going forward, because it is a chance for the central bank to get feedback from all 40, it's 40 something firms now. I think that number is going to go up in a relatively short period of time. And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing for the regulator to have a stronger handle on what's going on in the industry that it's supervising. So, uh, I think there was seven different areas laid out in that dear CEO letter of which safeguarding was one. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, at least another one of those seven gets uh, looked at in, in particular um, at, at some point in the future. And I'm going to pump for the wind up strategy <laughs> simply because uh, as out of proportion, out of whack as it may well be, it this is this is a big job for a, a a firm to get right there's a there's a great deal of thought and detail that has to go into to uh, such a strategy and so don't underestimate how long that'll take and if you're going to be requested to provide it you'll need some time to get the material together um, thank you to Alison and Russell for sharing your insights and expertise on this important task for e-money and payments firms. And thanks to you for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I do hope that you find the podcast interesting and useful. We would be very grateful if you would rate or review this podcast. And until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Compliance Files. This year represents a significant milestone for Compliance Institute as it marks our 20th anniversary. In November 2002, over 80 financial services professionals got together with the goal of providing a network for compliance professionals and to provide a framework for meeting the upskilling needs for what was then an emerging discipline. 20 years later, with over 3,250 members, we are the premier provider of education and professional development in compliance, providing a balanced and authoritative voice on matters relating to regulatory compliance and business ethics in industry in Ireland. To find out more on what we have planned for this celebratory year, please visit our website, compliance.ie.